Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today for our sermon review. Uh, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 to 16 was our focus this past week. Uh, it's part of, the, part of a section here, um, kind of finishing off a, a paragraph there, beginning in verse 11. It says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So Paul charges Timothy in our verses after kind of talking about what shouldn't be a part of a pastor's life, what the false teachers are kind of doing with envy and dissension that was up at the beginning of chapter 6. He then tells Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, all those things. And then he says in verse 13, I, I charge you, and what does he charge me? He says in 14, to keep the commandments. And so that's really what's happening here is there's a charge to Timothy to keep the commandments. And as I had said in the sermon, there's some debate as to what are the commandments that is referencing here. I, I think it means what he has been talking about uh, throughout the book so far. Uh, some say maybe specifically the, the Ten Commandments Paul is referencing uh, here, that it would have been known when he says commandments that that's what he's uh, reflecting back on. But either way, uh, Timothy is being charged here to keep the commands, and especially as a pastor, to live faithfully. Now, this has been pretty repetitive in this letter of Paul telling Timothy as the pastor to live out your faith, to, to live uh, according to the word of God, be, be holy, right? have patience, all these different things. Uh, one, so that people can't bring a charge against you if you're, if you're doing this. They don't have anything really of any substance to say, to say to you at that point. And so he's charging Timothy to remember this, to, to keep up with it and to be diligent in keeping these in these commands, growing in holiness, growing in the word, uh, unity of believers, uh, sharing the gospel with people as we are called to do. This is just some of some of the things we should be doing. Um, and, and then he says, don't just do it, but he says, keep it unstained and free from reproach. So really adds a level of perfection almost that, as I was saying in the message can feel, it can feel, feel very weighty because, uh, we realize how difficult this is when he says to keep it unstained and free from reproach, really so that no one can say anything against these commandments. Right. And it almost can feel like, uh, it's hanging on on us. You guys get what I'm saying? Like, it almost, again, we as pastors here, I guess we can talk about it this way because he's talking to Timothy as a pastor. It could almost feel like our lives and how, what, what Paul's saying here, it almost feels like our lives determine how successful the gospel is because people will look at us and say, oh, he kept it unstained, so it's good. Or, oh, Tim is staining it. He's ruining everything. It feels weighty. It feels it yeah. feels really heavy, and so it doesn't feel too encouraging. I think at this point, uh, when we're when we're hearing that to the charge to keep the commandments, it almost feels like I can't 
You can't do that. Well, and you can't. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of we, uh, we divide scripture in law and gospel and, um, law is what God commands. And this is one of the commandments that you, uh, um, here specifically writing to Timothy, Paul says, I charge you to keep the commandment. And really this seems to be because he's writing specifically to Timothy. Um, this ties into the very first chapter of Timothy where Paul says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine than in verse 18 of chapter one, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child in accordance, right? Hold faith and the good conscience wage the good warfare. So he's calling Timothy to uh, be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in the calling, in the place that God's placed him at this specific moment. Keep the commandment. Keep your place. Do what you're called to do. Um, but you're right. None of us can do that. We can't. Uh, the law does not give the ability to keep it. Um, so that's why, like you pointed out in the sermon, um, he reminds him also of the one in whom he's charged the in the one in whom whose presence um, he's charging Timothy, uh, God yeah, the Father right. and Jesus Christ. Right. So, but 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 he but the law is good. The law is not bad, but it doesn't give us any strength to do it. And the danger would be is if Timothy thought, oh, okay, yeah, I can I can do this in my own strength. I can keep the the, the commandment unstained. Um, and Paul, of course, would always say, no, you can't. You, the, you need the grace of, of Jesus Christ um, to continue to, to uphold you in the calling and the place that God's placed you to serve him. But knowing that we'll fail does not mean we don't still do the commandment, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the balance, I think, that we have to, that we have to keep well, no, in and, our But lives. it's also not simply trying to do it, but realizing the law doesn't give us the ability to do it. Because some people think just because God commands me to do something, that means I have the ability to do it. That's not the case. God, For instance, God commands you and all men to believe. He commands us all to believe the gospel, but doesn't mean any of us can do it. So he has to give us the faith. And so similarly here, um, yeah, we should want to obey this commandment, but then we have to go to God for the help to want to even do it and the ability to keep it. Yeah, but I, what I'm saying is I still think that there is growth in these things. We see this with in Paul's writings, right? That we should grow in the word, grow in the faith. And so there is success still in the Christian life, even in, in the law of, of, uh, doing better at that. And so whatever that sin might be, if I have a sin of lack of patience, even though I'm supposed to be patient, I can see in my life areas where I've grown and by God's grace, he's allowed me to become more patient, right? Um, what I'm saying is I don't think we can just have the excuse like Paul would talk about in Romans, of, well, I'll just keep sinning. I, what What's the point? I, I'm going to fall. We No, we, we don't have that. We we rest in Christ, which we're getting to with the God the Father and, and Jesus. Uh, but there still is, the, in the Bible, this command to go and do these things, go and live this way. Or as, as Paul wrote in Timothy here to Timothy, this is kind of how the church is structured and how it should go and how it should be run. And this is what you as a pastor should be doing. Go and Go and do this. Go and do this faithfully, right, and and serve the Lord in it. it, it I was going to say it reminds me of uh, back in First Timothy three one, where Paul says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And like that's the same phrase he used here of the idea of 
living a life that is above reproach. That obviously doesn't mean a perfect life, mm-hmm. but one that's clearly striving uh, to live in the way that God has called us to live. And even, like, if you think of keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder, I mean, I didn't study this passage and, and prepare a sermon on it, but reproach from whom? You know, who, who are you worried about? Um, like they're looking at the commands, looking at the Christian life, looking at the gospel and saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, the way you're living doesn't really doesn't really say that that's true necessarily. And at the end of those uh, qualifications, uh, Paul says in verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so as I was like, as I was reading through that passage and following along with your sermon, I mean, it makes sense that as, as we're talking about in context, as Timothy, as a pastor here at this church in Ephesus, who's supposed to have these qualifications as an elder and who's supposed to keep the commandment unstained from reproach uh, in the sight of Jesus Christ and God. I mean, it makes total sense because we've seen what's happened uh, even in our own time of pastors who haven't done that of, uh, or you might say like even church leaders or ministry leaders. Like I think of very recently, like Ravi Zacharias, who was so well-respected, you know, by so many, you know, but it, you know, uh, his lifestyle came to light, you know, after he passed away, and that kind of did away with everything. All of a sudden, the commandment that he believed and he taught came under reproach from a lot of people and did a lot of damage uh, to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kind of thought of it going back to those qualifications there uh, in First Timothy three. Another key thing I think is important too is the, the I don't I don't know <clears throat> that whenever he says keep the commandment. This also is similar to perhaps the way that um, you remember Jesus says this in uh, John, or is it, or maybe it's in First John. John writes this. He'll say, "We know what His commandment is: eternal life." So the commandment, keeping the commandment, stay unstained here. Obviously, I think does um, describe our um, the implications of the gospel, which are like our moral transformation and are living in light of God's law. But I think also Paul's big concern all throughout first Timothy is keep the gospel unstained. And so eventually at the very tail end of first Timothy, Paul's going to tell Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, keep it safe. And what's the deposit? Well, he's talked about it in first Timothy chapter one, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And don't let that get clouded up by Uh, people who want to go pursue genealogies or think that they understand the law when they actually don't understand the law, all of those things. So when Paul says that, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think this is simply talking about um, our, um, as in the sense of persevere in your personal holiness. I think that's part of it. But I think the bigger thing that Paul's getting after is keep the gospel pure and proclaim it as it's been entrusted to you, as I've passed it on to you. Keep it. And that'll eventually be the same concern he's got in 2 Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't let these other things um, get in the way of the message, whether that's your personal life or whether that's um, the distractions of other people. You keep the things, the gospel of Jesus Christ, up front and center and clear 
so that the message goes out. And I think that is actually a big part of what it means to keep it unstained. That's an interesting take. I didn't see that in any of the commentaries. Um, Take that approach, because that was the question right at the beginning, is what does he mean by the commandment? And the only really options I saw in, in the commentaries that I was referencing was either the Ten Commandments or because Paul here in, in six is he's fighting against the false teachers and their actions and mm-hmm. their teaching. But then with Timothy, he says, as opposed to what they're doing, if you remember in verse 11 in that, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. He's telling Timothy to pursue all these things, right? What the implications of the gospel. And then coupled with that is to keep this commandment unstained. And so they <clears throat> they more often not went back with with that kind of thing. I right. think what you're saying is definitely... Well, which, part of it. I was sure. going to say, what's interesting is that that's like what you're pointing out, Spencer, is definitely true in First Timothy, but also like what Paul does in First Timothy is in a way weaves together or doesn't doesn't make them separate things right. necessarily, right. like your life and your doctrine. He right. actually says these two go hand in hand yeah. together, yeah. right? So in chapter four, um, where is it? Uh, verse 16 keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching on yourself and right. on the teaching right. persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers and so those two things are not necessarily separated right. in Paul's mind of the life of a pastor or of a believer and the way he begins the the passage there but as for you O man of God flee these things those things that he just referenced back in the previous passage but then Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and you know. Then he goes on, and eventually makes it to the commandment. And so there's there's this idea all through First Timothy that the way you live is not disconnected from what you believe and what right, you teach. Right. They go hand in hand uh, together. And you see that like in the other epistles, right? First John will say things like, "This is the commandment we've heard from him that we should love one another." But then also he'll say, this is the commandment we receive. We know that his commandment is eternal life. So it's both gift and then the implications for you in your practical life that flow from the gift of Christ. And I think probably that's that whole thing is what Paul has in mind. Because um, you're right, you can't, you, you can't choose one or the other. They're, they come as a package deal. I definitely uh, think there are parts of the church where the moral aspect is being uh, swayed, right? We see that where churches are starting to be pretty affirming of some sin. That's obviously sin in scripture. One of the areas I see uh, in my circles people struggle the most with, and I tried to bring this up often in the message, and I, I hope people catch what I'm saying, but uh, here at the end it said, how long do we do this? We do this until Jesus comes, which he'll come at the proper time. And what I see in my circles is people who seem to be tired of doing the commandment that God has given us when it comes to this is what a church is. This is how you grow in your faith, right? Sit under the preaching of the word. Uh, observe uh, communion together. Uh, baptize people who need to be baptized. Uh, regularly speak the gospel to each other. We see these very common uh, commands uh, of what we do. Gather, right? It says to gather often. <clears throat> kind of what I see, I don't, I don't know if you could put this in moral or if you would put it in the staining the gospel kind of aspect, but just... This idea that something new needs to happen to make it more relevant or fresh, you know, or you see it with people's church attendance, if you're being quite honest. It's like, eh, it's just not as important anymore. And again, is that a moral thing? 
Yeah. Is it also, I think, a view maybe into their heart of what the gospel is? I think so also, where it's like, this is what God has told us to do is to keep this commandment. So this gospel message is on it. Like Spencer was saying, it's unchanged. It's the same. It's the same message. We need to keep telling the, the same thing to people is that you have sin in your life that you can't deal with, but God has made a way through his son for it to be dealt with. And grace is there for you. Mm. Right. We, we don't change. We don't change the message. Uh, but that, I guess that's what I see more in my, my circles is people, I don't know. They're they're kind of tired of the commandments, and they yeah. they're looking for something new. It's like I'm tired of doing this same thing. Give me something fresh. Yeah. What came to my mind when you were talking about that in your sermon was Galatians six nine, where Paul says, "Do not grow weary of doing good." Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of it seems strange because you think to yourself, "Well, who grows weary of doing good?" Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what we all want to do, you know. Uh, but we do. We grow weary of of doing good to one another. And like you think of, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's loving your neighbor as you love yourself, putting them before yourself, living your life in humility. Like all of those things we would categorize as those things that you can't do perfectly and you definitely can't do outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's easy to grow weary yeah. of of doing those things. You know, you think about, you were talking about kind of living life together as a church, I guess, and a lot of the different aspects that come with that, but... It's really hard to live together as a church body. You know, like it's really easy to offend people. Yeah, it's it's hard to get married and have one other person and live yeah. with that person. Like you have fights. Yeah. And you have disagreements. Now put You guys fought in your marriage? Yeah, we do. I know. You guys are different. You guys are perfect. <laughs> No, <laughs> and I mean you, we just keep our fights indoors. <laughs> but if you think like what, a church of fifty, you're bringing fifty people into this family yeah. who are not. There's going to be fifty different ways to do everything. They've all got their own problems. Yeah, they've all got their own struggles. It's really hard to keep people together. It's really hard to keep putting somebody before yourself and serving one another in the way that Christ has served us in the way he's commanded us to serve one another, it's hard to do that. And it's easy to grow weary of doing good to your brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone the, the people around you and in your world, your neighbor, mm-hmm. as we would say. Yeah. Do you guys watch the show Lost? No. Were you too young I never, for that? I was, I was a little, little young. I, I wanted to get into it, but by the time I wanted to, nobody cared about it anymore. Yeah. Spencer Never doesn't like shows like that. Hey, edit that question out. <laughs> you go ahead. It's not Give going it. anywhere. Okay. Okay. No, no. Okay. I was just I was thinking when I was like trying to share about the monotony, I guess, of the Christian life that people get sick of is like if God told you, I need you to push this button every day. Yeah. Push it. Every day. Every day. Every day. I do. It's the snooze button. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I would tend to start to think is I'm better than this button. Like, give me something better, I would start to think. Or then I would start to question, what, why am I doing this? What is this button doing, right? But I know God told me to do it, but I'm like, I don't think it's doing anything for me. Is it doing something for somebody else? I don't know. And it just seems like over the years, let's say a span of 2000, which the church has existed, I think people start to question, why am I pushing this button? Yeah. And what we have in the Bible is God says, I need you to do very simple tasks. Like we said, when it comes to the church, what he's told Timothy, preach the word, right? 
love each other, uh, observe communion and baptize. Right. Gather, right? Right, yeah. Repeat. Repeat. <laughs> but it's like people are yeah. like, what is this doing for me? And it's like, yeah. well, actually, the Bible does tell us what it's doing for you. It's growing you in his grace, right. his mercy. There's actually benefits here to this, but it's, it just seems like the church in general is just kind of like, I don't know. I just don't feel it anymore. I, I recently read a, 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 a little a sermon. I've been going through a book of sermons for a devotion, devotional book. And um, he brought this topic up in an interesting parable of Jesus. Um, where the parable of the unworthy servants, mm-hmm. when Jesus uh, says, um, you know, you've got a servant out in the field, he comes in, he doesn't get to make his own meal first, he has to serve you. And um, or do you think that because he did that, he's going to get a thank you? He said, no, he only did what he was commanded. And he said, similarly, uh, when you've done all that you've been commanded, you can only say we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty. And he highlights the idea of pretension in the Christian life, that we are owed something. And he played it out even in the ordinary aspects like what you're describing. And one of the things that we do is we think, he he describes how what we start to do is we come to God and we do the things that he's commanded. And really, again, keeping the commandment unstained is, I think the commandment in one sense is just 1 Timothy, the whole letter. (laughs) And so like getting together for church, prayer, confessing our sins, the things you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And we expect what we think we are owed in do, for doing those things. We've done these things. Therefore, and he highlights, we think we should get a religious experience out of them. We think that we should get a certain feeling out of them or a certain sense of satisfaction out of them because we've done what God commanded and given to us. We should get something in response. And he highlights this. That's pretension. That's going to God demanding something that he's not told you he's going to give. He says he's going to give you grace to forgive your sins that you need to trust is there regardless of how you feel. And so to the extent that you start to tell God or come to church because it fills that hole in your life or you find it emotionally satisfying or any other reason other than the fact that you're a sinner and God says, I will forgive you through Christ to any, any, if to go farther than that is pretension Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't give us good feelings. It doesn't mean that we don't have joy or right. we should grow in contentment. All of those things are true, but he really helpfully, for me, highlighted that I, we can do that in any number of areas of our life, not just public worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the end of the day, we have to say we are unworthy servants, and we just have to trust that that God knows what he's doing. He's He hasn't just given us some stuff to do just because he wants to keep us, well, probably partially it is to keep us occupied because if we're idle, we're just going to go and act like fools. Yeah. But also it is because it's through those means that he as our father comes and loves us, disciplines us, and gives us the grace. Yeah. Well, it's like those things that God has given us to do. You know, when you're talking about you're doing those for an experience or to leave with a certain feeling, the, the pretentiousness that you deserve something that this is like an equation you put this in and then you receive this right. out like a like a, a mutual fund that you make an investment in and if you if, if it doesn't perform you pull out right you know kind of thing you've forgotten who you're doing this for it's not for you it never has been it's all for the glory of god and i think what people miss a lot of times is like i don't really have an illustration that would help make this clear but it's like 
when you start doing those things, not for yourself, but for the glory of the Lord, it is satisfying. Mm -hmm. There's great satisfaction that comes from that because you're living in the way and in relation Mm -hmm. to God the way he designed you to, to care about his glory more than your own satisfaction. And that is deeply satisfying. But the moment you make it about your satisfaction and not his glory, then all of a sudden it's not satisfying anymore. And it's just the chasing of the next thing to to get the fix that you need. Paul talked about that in the verses ahead when he said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And what are we content in? We're content in God. And that's why he would say, if you're rich, know that God gave you that and be content in that. If you're not, this is where God has you. Be content in that. Right. Right. And so I think that's some mm-hmm. of what you're talking about. And think about, again, with marriage is a great parallel because um, much of marriage you realize, if you've been married for any length of time, is monotonous. You wake up, you go do your, your callings, whatever that looks like as a married spouse, then you come back together. I mean, there's... There's 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 some really basic things that you're called to do. And when does your marriage usually get really bad? I don't know. No, what? I'm well, never mine has gotten bad. <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine has gotten bad when you make it all about you. Yeah. And it's it's about your satisfaction, right. your happiness in the relationship, and not about you striving for the sake of the other. And, and That's have, what happens. And you have unrealistic expectations to what right so people will say things like you know my love just uh my my um my relationship with my spouse just doesn't have the same excitement it used to have you know it doesn't have the same thrill it used to have my heart doesn't leap anymore like it used to as as if that's a as if your emotions are a good indicator of of what is true and good and beautiful and similarly that's what happens in church life is people use the wrong barometer to judge. First of all, they, they have the, use the wrong barometer to judge what God's doing because God, frankly, doesn't need your emotions to change you. He doesn't need, he, he works through things that you think are foolish. And actually, you know what that looks like? That, that's, that's the ironic thing is then you have to die to yourself. God has chosen things for us to do as the people of God. The means of grace, the means by which he changes us are means that look foolish to the world. It looks like the cross. So if you actually want to be radical and follow Jesus, do the things that 1 Timothy talks about, praying together, meeting together, um, listening to the leaders that God's appointed in your congregation, preaching the same gospel, and then pressing the repeat button for next week. That's what following Jesus looks like, actually. So to this command, Paul gives two witnesses to really clarify the importance of this. And he, he goes to Jesus Christ, and he goes to God the Father. Uh, and with Jesus, he says that he made the good confession before Pontius Pilate, and we see Christ's obedience to the Father of when he could have ended it all uh, at any moment. He didn't, and he went forward, and he answered Pilate, and he answered him honestly, and he faced his accusers and never, and never backed down. Uh, and so there is a sense there of we want to follow Christ in that as well. We want to stand and make the good confession. We we want to keep the commandments true. And uh, as we've been mentioning, the gospel unstained. And so there will be people who don't want to hear that. Uh, but we look to Christ who did that, just like in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Christ who's went before us. Uh, and so it's not just with Jesus, it's not just a word he's given but he's went and lived and did in our place and what we couldn't fulfill. 
right? And so we have this. And so that's the first witness that Paul brings forward in this charge of saying, kind of like, Timothy, don't do this because you respect me as Paul. Do this, first of all, because of Christ. Then secondly, he mentions God the Father. And he gives a bunch of uh, characteristics of God the Father or attributes of God the Father. He mentions that, remember, God the giver of all life, uh, the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light no one has ever seen or can see. And then he ends with, to him be honor and dominion forever. Amen. Uh, eternal dominion. These these things about God, I we, we took time Sunday to kind of go through each of those just a little bit, but just trying to, I think it's good for us to dwell often on God and his attributes and and who he is and what he has done. And Paul's kind of just laying that down for Timothy. Like, keep this commandment, and this is who this is who has established it. Ready? God, who gives all life. You got anything, you know, you got any rebuttal type of thing? Like, uh, no, not really, you know. But not just to give her all life, but he's, he's the blessed one. And when you think about that, and all good blessings come. I, tr- I was trying to bring that out just some in the sermon to think of how good God is to us. Like he doesn't just leave us pushing the button every day and us wondering what is happening here. Nothing good is coming up. As Christians, we we cannot honestly say that. We know that he is the giver of all good things. You know, that he he's blessed us with so, he's blessed us with a Christian family. He's blessed us with material possession. He's blessed us with, you know, everybody has these blessings. And Dan Campbell. Oh, Lions coach? Yeah. He's yeah. Blessed you like that? that? Well, it's given. He's not on hard knocks this year, though. Yeah, but it's hopeful. Hopeful, yeah. There's hope. Sorry, Scott. I, I immediately thought that was some old country music person. <laughs> Dan it is, it is kind of that thing. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's how it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the only sovereign. Um. We talked about his omni-attributes some and just how nobody can stand before him, which leads Paul to say the king of kings and the, the lord of lords. There's just nothing compared. And I think it's important for us. We, we live in a time, I'm sure it's always been this way, but just where relationships matter, who you know matters, right? And, uh, and so you want to know important people so that you can be important or so that it can help you in some way, shape, or form. And we can get lost in that at times here on this earth. And it can even cause us to stumble in our walk. It can cause us to stain the gospel message because we want to please people, whoever it might be. And just having this reminder of who God is, what he has done for us, how he's chosen us, he's saved us, how he's called us, all these things. The thought that we would want to impress anybody else other than our father and honor him really doesn't make much sense. Um, but too often we can get away from thinking about who God is, right? We try to go into these other areas and really you can spend a lifetime on the attributes of God and understanding him. And it should just, it just leads to praise, which, uh, Paul then said he alone has immortality, but the one I tried to talk about a little bit more was dwells in unapproachable light. Um, and this is referencing God's just his holiness, his magnificence, his perfection. Yeah that we can't understand. Have you guys ever seen a total eclipse? 
Solar solar eclipse. I think so. Didn't yeah. that happen a few had, years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another one that's going to be happening soon, I think, passing through Toledo or Yeah, like nearby. Cleveland and stuff. Cleveland, yeah, yeah, I saw that. But it's like what I th- I was thinking of, like um, that God dwells in unapproachable light. I was thinking of just like the sun. Like you can't, what would it be like to, to actually try to look <laughs> and to see that? And it's like you can't bear to look at the sun, even on a cloudy day. You can't, like, your eyes will, like, stop working if you do that. And the only time that you can ever look at the sun and not have, like, your eyes damaged is when it's covered up, you know, like, by the, by the, by the moon or whatever. And right. you're able to look at it, and it's still, even when it's completely covered up, beautiful, you know. And uh, just got me thinking, I mean, the, the God is so much more beautiful than that you know, of that kind of light and the physical light of the sun or whatever. But that's just what I was trying to think of is just how beautiful that has to be. The unapproachable light that you can't even see because like you said, you'll, you can't. God is holy. You are not. That's the one thing that you realize is if I try to look at the sun, all I can think about is how much it hurts, you know? And uh, I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Dwelling on it. Yeah, I think too. There's a there's a thing too where we we um, theologians have always drawn the distinction between the creator and the creature, and so um, our sin has definitely uh, tainted us to the point to where um, we were made holy and to live in his holy in his holy presence, um, and then because of our sin, we can't even stand there apart from grace. But even even as perfect creatures in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be holy. We still can't, um, we still can't see the father. We can't see his, um, because as he points out, he's, he's invisible. God, God is, um, God is spirit. And therefore he's not, he's uncreated. He's not made of anything. He was never made. And so, uh, that makes the incarnation all the more wonderful because Jesus tells us that with our physical eyes, um, we will never see God's divinity. We will never see pure, naked divinity, but we will see Jesus. And through the incarnate Son, Jesus says, you see the Father. And when we see Jesus, we see the one who gives the Spirit. And so through the incarnate Christ, we, we don't see the Father with our eyes, and I don't think we ever we ever will. The vision of God that we're given in the new heavens and the new earth, they call, the theologians would call the, the beatific vision, where we will be able to um, gaze upon the Lord in his beauty, but that's gazing upon the incarnate Christ in his glorified humanity, I think. Um, but I, well, these, 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 these attributes, to me, remind me of the, the one word that I think about is unsearchable which Paul talks about in Romans 11. Um, He says, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And what this highlights is that um, there is, uh, this is kind of a crude way to put it, but there is so much of of the, the triune God that we, we don't even know. We have no idea because we can't search him out. Um, and we shouldn't go search him out because it will destroy us. But God the Father has spoken and showed us his incarnate son and said, listen to him. Just listen to this one. Because everything you need to know is going to be given right here through him. And so 
it's it highlights i think the great distance between the creator and the creature his unsearchableness the fact that we will never be able to plumb the depths i think was it saint augustine who said about god i can see the depths but i cannot see the bottom and that's the way it is with god and so instead of directing our gaze to this or that we direct our gaze to jesus christ born suffering dying rising ascending glorified returning for us and through him, we do get to know the unsearchable God, but in a way that's appropriate for us as creatures and as sinners, I think. All right. Well, we're almost done with First uh, Timothy. I think two more weeks in it, and we'll be, we will be finished. Uh, we hope to see you Sunday. We got a big week coming up. Vacation Bible School is, is coming up. And Yay. so this coming Sunday is our VBS kickoff, which will be uh, Sunday evening at, what, 6? Five, six to eight. Six to eight. Um, so gearing up for that, this uh, this podcast here releases on Wednesday. And so if you're listening to this on Wednesday during the day, you could come to the church and help decorate for Vacation Bible School because it's going on currently, Wednesday, Thursday, yep. maybe Friday. Yeah. Hopefully not Friday. Hopefully not Friday, but, but potentially. But probably Friday. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. Friday. Uh, come but, up and we'll feed you lunch. Yeah, but we're... Not anything good though. What, what will cheap. be lunch? It'll be something. What cheap. is lunch usually? Bologna. Scott does usually bologna, you know mayo, what? and mustard. <sighs> I should do that. <laughs> and the cheap white bread. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. And the cheap American cheese. Ugh. I like the cheap white bread. The, I don't like one dollar. Yeah. At no. Kroger. Yeah. You don't like that? That's no. the perfect. Oh my gosh. Never get that. Why? You don't I ever get anything. Never grew up with that. <laughs> I grew up. That's <laughs> not true. Courtney gets it. <laughs> Spencer gets it, they got to take it back. It's the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I guess. Well, Spencer gets it is probably in like, a dumpster. I like, <laughs> hey. <laughs> that's true. There's no, a story there. I like, I like whole wheat bread. I like rye bread. I like, uh, yeah, those kinds of things. Old man rye bread. Yeah, that makes sense. My grandpa liked rye bread. <laughs> yeah. I love it, especially with the seeds in it. Ugh. I don't want the, I like it with the seeds in it. Not yeah. the seeds out. I'm yeah. a big rye bread I'll guy. eat it. I'll eat that. I think it's refreshing. Refreshing is not the word I would yeah. use. I satisfying. Yeah, satisfying, refreshing, same thing. No. <laughs> no. You know where I went yesterday? <laughs> where? For State lunch. Park and Swam? No. I was trying to no. change the changes of it. I took my wife out for lunch. We went to B-dubs. Oh, oh yeah, right. your kids are gone. <sighs> Big spenders. Oh, it. Yeah, actually, I yes. yes. <laughs> actually, yes. Uh, we got the... Uh, Courtney had never had that sampler as the appetizer. Yeah, it's good. So we got the sampler appetizer, but then... Uh, they got this bacon smashed chili burger. It's that doesn't awesome. sound good. Wait a minute, you went to B Dubs and got a burger. I know. Well, the wings are so expensive now. They we got are. wings. We did get wings in the sampler. Okay. So the wings came with the sampler. You got then, the sampler, and then you both got meals. We both had se- We shared the sampler. Yeah. yeah. And then you both got meals. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no problem, man. That is hey, expensive. You're on a, a lot date of with food. kids. Go yeah, for I guess. It. Yeah. It's awesome. Party. Great. So that was a good Glad time. you did that. Yeah, B-dubs is good. Awesome. All right, where are you taking her tonight? Because you still don't have kids, right? We got invited to somebody's house for dinner. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Look at so, that. There you go. Should we talked about, for the fourth, driving to, uh, going to the White Horse Inn in Metamora. Have you guys ever heard of that? All right, let's end on that. It's a restaurant. It's a very cool looking restaurant, and I want to go there just because it's the White Horse Because there's a Mormon temple next to no, it. No, yeah. no. Yeah. It's called the White Horse Somebody's buried close by or no, something. No, it's it, 
Is okay, Michael Horton going to be go, there? Go look it up. <laughs> no, oh, I know. There in pre- in I know. I know. I'm going to need to take some pictures and just send it to him to let him know. But it, I'm excited because I've I've known about this place for a long time. It looks really cool. It'd be a great place for a staff Christmas party, honestly. Is it in Monroe? No, it's in Metamora. I don't even know what that is. That's up towards Flint. Pass. <laughs> it's too far away. Pass. <laughs> right. All right. Well, okay. We hope to see you uh, this coming Sunday. As we said, we'll be in First Timothy, uh, chapter six. Almost, almost finished with it. Uh, but we hope to see you on Sunday, Lord willing. Until then, God bless.